welcome to today's episode. So today I have part two of Neville Goddard's lecture titled The Eternal Father. And this is going to be a short episode, uh, just like episode one, but it's a little bit too long, <coughs> excuse me, to fit into one episode. So here we go. Neville continues to tell his audience, the writers of the Gospels told their stories and parables in many ways. One story tells of Jesus taking a piece of bread, breaking it, and handing it to those near, saying, Eat, for this is my body. Offering them a cup, he says, Drink all of it, for this is my blood. Except you eat my blood and drink my blood, you have no life. But if you eat my body and drink my blood, then you have life in yourself. Is this true? Yes, if you believe. Your Father in Heaven sees in secret and rewards you openly by giving you your very de- your every desire. If you believe, but if you do not believe that I am He, meaning the Father, you die in your sins. You cannot deceive your beliefs. As you sow a belief, so shall you reap a belief. Can this be proved? Yes, in the immediate present. A lady writes, In my dream, three of us, all dressed in baby blue, are eating. Each plate has three pieces of food on it. A voice said, You are eating, break food. And I replied, You mean breakfast? Then the voice repeated, No, break food. Then the following blessing was given, saying, There is a time to work and a time to play, a time to go and a time to stay. And as I reached for the break food with my right hand, I awoke. This lady is eating the doctrine of Christ. People go to church and taking communion, they eat the bread and the wine, not knowing what communion really is. Listen carefully. For if you eat this bread and drink this wine, your father, who was seeing you do it, will reward you openly in the immediate present. So what is communion? Imagination. It is the soul's bread and wine. Commune with a friend. Perhaps he is one who is always seeing the negative side of life. To him, everything is bad, and nothing is good. As you commune together, see him radiant and happy, enjoying the positive, good, and rewarding side of life. If you do that, you have resurrected him. He, who seemed to be dead, with all of his dream and a failure, has been restored to a happy, abundant life. Now, can you really believe what you are seeing in secret? And who is seeing it? I am. That's the Father's name. Your Father is seeing exactly what you are imagining. This is the way you commune with your Father. This is eating the doctrine, drinking his blood, and making him alive. When you actually lost yourself in the state of fulfillment, you resurrected your friend from the dead state of negation. Where was it done? At the tomb of Lazarus. For it was he who was called forth from the dead. If you will but believe, you will see his resurrection. For I am the resurrection and the life. You don't need a church, a synagogue, or some so-called holy place to commune with God. For wherever you stand is holy. You are the temple of the living God. 
and you are always in your temple, no matter where you are. While standing at a bar, you can think of a friend. Knowing his request, you can see him and body it. Rejoice and say, Thank you, Father, that thou hast heard me. I know thou always hears me. Didn't you hear yourself? Didn't you see what you were doing? If I am seeing that I am doing, and he who watches it is I am, am I not seeing it? Can you feel yourself? Now do you believe it? If you really believe that I, the one who is seeing it, am God the Father of all, and all things are possible to him, he will resurrect it. Now in the same letter, the lady said, I sell real estate. I have a client of a family of five, the mother and father and three little children. When the father was transferred to San Francisco, they put their house on the market for me to sell. A month went by and there was no offer on the house. The client, so anxious to join her husband, called me every day. One day I said to her, Tell me, were you in San Francisco were you in San Francisco? What would you be doing right now? And she replied, I would be horseback riding. That night I asked her to fall asleep riding a horse in San Francisco, remembering when she lived in Van Nuys. Two weeks later I received a call asking that I come to her house as they had an offer on it. When I saw the contract, it contained the exact price and terms previously discussed even to the length of the escrow. Then I said, isn't that wonderful? Now you won't have to worry about showing the house anymore. And she replied, that doesn't bother me. What I think is so wonderful is that I don't have to ride that damned horse anymore. I've got saddle sores. Two weeks later, she called to tell me they had found the home of their dreams in San Francisco and that I had no idea how I had changed her thinking. <coughs> oh, excuse me. My cup today is really running over, for she said to me, I now know that imagining creates reality. Here someone has proved beyond all doubt that at least the doctrine based on this level is true. Perhaps she can't quite grasp the mystery of the fatherhood of God, who is buried in every child born of woman, but in time she will, and so will you, one day to prove that you really are the father. You are going to bring David forward, but he cannot come to you until you have played all the parts. I have played every conceivable part in this world. The bum, the royalty, the scavenger, the outcast, the judge and the judged, the jailer and the prisoner, but everything. And having played them all, I have brought forth David. The quiescence, the result of all the generations of men I have played, David is a result of your journey through this world of sin and death, for it is he who reveals you as the everlasting Father. There is only one Savior in the world. Christianity has separated this one Savior by calling him Jehovah in the Old Testament and Jesus in the New, as though there were two gods, but there aren't two. The word Jesus, Jehovah, and Joshua have the same root, yod heh Bah which means Jehovah is Savior. The story of Job is the story of man, and the word Job means, where's my father? Job is trying to find the cause of everything that is happening to him. In the book of Second Samuel, we are told that the city of Zion was taken by one called Joab, 
which means Jehovah, his father. In this story, after Joab had conquered and the city was about to fall, he very kindly set himself apart and allowed King David to enter. Take the credit and name it after himself. That's the everlasting sacrifice of a father. Jehovah, the father, is buried in you as you play the many parts of the world. And when you have played them all and he has conquered, he will bring out his only begotten son, David, to reveal you to yourself. Jehovah made the everlasting sacrifice by giving you himself that you may become Jesus. Tonight you can take it on this level, and by the act of imagination you can eat the bread and drink the wine of communion. You can do it now or when you are going home. Just think of a friend as, as you see him being transformed, you are eating the doctrine, the bread, and drinking the blood of life, and he who is the creator of all life, will make it alive for you. Do you believe that? For unless you believe that I am he who is seeing in secret, you will not be rewarded openly. Seeing exactly what you are doing, you cannot fool yourself. You are actually communing with yourself in secret, and you are communing with God. For God is your I am. If you put this to the test and it works, does it really matter what others think? You can eat all the little crackers and drink all the wine in the world, but that is not communion. When you commune with God, you forgive sin, or you forgave your friend for missing the mark when you became aware of it. You did not do it to him, but to yourself, for he is yourself pushed out. There is nothing in this world but self, and there is no other but God. So you take every aspect of yourself, and by communion, you can free them by forgiveness. The supreme test of this doctrine is the forgiveness of sin, and only God can forgive sin. It tests your ability to enter into and partake of the nature of the opposite. If a man doesn't look well, partake of the opposite, and see that he does. Persuade yourself that he has never looked healthier and to the degree that you are self-persuaded of what you are imagining, he will become it. And when he does, what does it matter what the world may say? So thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hid these things from the wise and prudent and revealed them unto babes. The scholars have searched and searched, and they cannot find the Christ of whom the scriptures wrote and whose forthcoming they foretold. They will never find him because he comes only by revelation. He reveals himself to the babes, to the unlearned of the world, not the scholars, for he comes from within. The Bible is the external testimony of scripture which is within you. The very words you hear are within you. No man sat down to compose scripture. It's not a human compilation. Scripture springs from the depths of your soul as the eternal father unfolds himself within you. Every child born of woman will awaken as God the Father, and God the Father is personified in Scripture as Jesus Christ. No one knows who Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John are. They are anonymous names of those who told their own experiences in the third person and called him Jesus, for Jesus means Jehovah. No one knows the authors of the five books of Moses either. They only go by initials. 
We have the J manuscript, the E manuscript, and the P manuscript, but the authors are unknown. They are all called Moses, but Moses is a lawgiver, the state through which the end is revealed. The writers of the Old Testament, like the New, were telling their own experiences, their own visions, which they recorded in the third person so that man could accept it. Man may accept what you have seen, but they can attach an adoration to an unknown. Rather than you, they know. So all the authors of the Old and New Testaments, although unknown, are telling their own experiences. The story of Jesus Christ was foretold in the Old Testament. It unfolded in man and for men in whom the story unfolded told it, but wrote it in the third person, singular, and put the words into the mouth of one they called Jesus. Why? Because it was foretold that he would save his people from their sins. Who is the Savior? The answer can be found in the 43rd chapter of Isaiah. I am the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel, your Savior, and beside me there is no Savior. The one called Mary said, I gave praise to my Savior, the Lord Jehovah. There is no other Savior other than he who reveals himself as your I am. That is my name forever, and by this name I shall be known throughout all generations. But today man has put a little tag on him. They have made him an idol, not knowing that Jesus Christ is within, and when he comes, it is from within, for the drama of Christ unfolds within man. God is only one son called David, who is unique. Being the only one of his kind, David is brought forth not of the flesh, or of the will of man, but of God. Having played all the parts, God brings forth the result of the play personified, as the essence of it all, my son in whom I am well pleased, a man who will do all my will, my son David. In the end you will bring him forth as I have brought him forth. If we all know him as our son David, are we not one? Is not then the confession of faith of Israel the greatest confession ever made? Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Are we not the one Lord with the one begotten Son? And what is our name? Wonderful Counselor, the Holy Spirit. I will send the Wonderful Counselor, the Holy Spirit who becomes Almighty God, El Shaddai. Called Jehovah's first revelation to man, the Holy Spirit is Almighty God, for there are not two. Then comes a revelation of being the Everlasting Father. Holy Father, I have made manifest thy name, and the name thou gavest me I have revealed to them. He gave me the name of Father by giving me his Son. Keep them in thy name that thou gavest me, that they may be one as we are one. Keep them in the same love as thou lovest me, for we are one. Now we see that the Holy Father is the Wonderful Counselor, the Almighty God, the Everlasting Father, and his final revelation is Prince of Peace. There can be no peace until you find him, and that comes at the very end. We have four acts here, and when the last scene of the play is over, it's only to enjoy that seemingly infinite peace for a moment. It came out just as foretold, and now it is time to transcend it, even though the next drama may put this one to shame. So as a poet said, be patient. Our playwright will show in some fifth act what this wild dream means.
Good night. All right. So that is the end of part two of Neville Goddard's lecture titled The Eternal Father. Thank you so much for joining me for another episode. Uh, I appreciate you guys joining me here. I also record these on my YouTube channel if you're interested um, in listening to them there. You can do that. Um, in the meantime, don't forget there is a link to the PDF version of this lecture in the description uh, for this episode. Uh, don't forget, if you want, you can check out my blog. Um, I talk about uh, or I write about my mystical dreams and experiences and stuff over there along with some other things. And um, yeah, I think that's it. So you guys have a wonderful day. Thanks again for joining me in this episode and uh, I will see you guys in the next one. Bye.